I hope you will join us tonight, 7 o'clock, to honor our seniors. This week is the first week of the month. We have First Wednesday Prayer. We have a prayer meeting each and every first Wednesday of the month, and that will take place this week, 6.30. Come and join us. Also, last week we finished our series in the book of John, and next week we start a series in the book of Genesis on the life of Abraham and his friendship with God. And um, I would encourage you to follow along, maybe read some in the book of Genesis about Abraham and understanding his promise, God's promise to him, his covenant with him, all of these things that have not just meaning for the old covenant, but also foreshadow the new covenant, and even have uh, eschatology in mind. It even helps us understand the end times some as we study the life of Abraham. And so um, I would encourage you to just dig in yourself in the book of Genesis. For my time today, message today, I want to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians as uh, we prepare for our participation in communion. And we'll close the service today with communion. It's a passage that is often read before a church receives the elements, but um, it's often misunderstood. Uh, the Corinthian church, if you know anything about Corinth and uh, the city of Corinth, the church at Corinth, at, at Corinth uh, you'll understand that it was greatly influenced by the culture of the city. Uh, the church was. And it wasn't good. In Paul's time, it was the capital of the province of Achaia and the seat of the pro a council of Rome. It was an affluent city. It was prosperous and immorality was rampant in the city. It had worked its way into the church. Uh, the new Christian church was about a generation old and <laughs> it had already kind of wandered down this path of cultural mixing with the gospel of Christ. If you read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that the apostle Paul is just addressing all kinds of really evil things that are going on in the church. And if it, it was as if they had lost their way so soon. And this letter is just addressing these problems one at a time. And it, it makes me think, do you ever wish that Jesus would write a letter to our church? Do you ever wish that Jesus would write a letter to the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Georgetown? of which we're just a part of. In his uh, discussion on the, the Lord's Supper, he starts in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 18. And I'm going to read the passage, 18 to 29. It says this, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. Got problems in this church. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. The celebration of communion in this time was quite an event. Do any of you remember good old-fashioned potluck dinners at the church? They just set out a spread, everybody bring food, throw it together, and you'd go through the line and get your food. And you see, communion, the Lord's Supper, was a celebration. And people would bring all manner of food, and they, they would spread it out, and they would share with everyone. And, um, but you know what happened over time was that people began noticing that some were bringing lots of good food and good choice wine. And others of lesser means were bringing very little, yet they found themselves at the same table, eating of the finest of foods. And so what happened over time is that um, the people who were bringing food to the celebration decided, I think rather than putting it on the table and sharing it all, we'll just sit with our food at our table. <laughs> we'll just keep it for us. And it led to segregation in the church. All the people with lots of food and drink would sit together and exclude those food moochers over there. And that's why Paul intervenes and he says that there are divisions in the church. And there are some of you who are hungry and some of you who are absolutely drunk at the table of the Lord. And what was lost in all of it is what was this whole scene about anyway? <laughs> was it about getting full and drinking and eating? Or was it about the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? They were, they were using a, a sacred thing of God and, and taking it and making it about themselves. They were using communion as an opportunity to bring pleasure to themselves. I guess we need to ask ourselves, do we misuse or misunderstand the Lord's Supper today. I've often heard throughout my life this passage of Scripture that I read today uh, before communion. They would read this 1 Corinthians 11 passage and they would highlight two particular verses. They would read the whole passage, but boy, they really wanted to drive home two particular verses. And they would say this, Remember, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty... And they said that word really loud. Guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Oh, but a man must examine, take account. And in so doing, he is to eat and drink of the cup. It would then usually be explained that you should look at your life and see if you're worthy today of receiving communion. You were to see if there were patterns of sin in your life. Are you committing some sins? And if so, you had better confess them. And you better repent before you eat and drink. Otherwise, judgment will come raining down upon you today. Makes you excited about communion, doesn't it? <laughs> I just stop and think about that for a minute. Uh, is that what Paul is meaning here? Does that jive with the rest of the message of the gospel? 
If it does, well, then let me ask you this question. When is your behavior ever going to be good enough to make you worthy of participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ? If you're stuck on the answer, I'll give it to you. (laughs) Never. Never. You see, the Corinthian church had made everything about themselves. They, they, They started to think the church or church services, even communion, even Jesus himself. All this was to make my life happy and pleasurable. And <coughs> Paul was saying, no, Corinthians, examine yourselves to make sure that you're participating in communion, recognizing the finished work of Jesus Christ for you, his grace for you. Don't come to please yourself. It had nothing to do with their personal levels of sinfulness or righteousness. Otherwise, no one would ever be qualified. So what's it all about? Why does the church regularly participate in the eating and the drinking of the elements of communion? Well, I want to proclaim today that it is a celebration It is a celebration of deliverance and salvation. We trace it back all the way to the first Passover where the children of Israel were delivered from the angel of death by painting the blood over the doorposts of their home. God told his people to have an annual feast, have a festival, have a celebration, a party, remembering what had been done on their behalf. Can you imagine being in a Jewish home all those years at Passover time, hearing about the slavery that your ancestors were in, the parting of the Red Sea by God, and then leading them through the desert to the brink of the Jordan River, and then God would have to part the Jordan River, and they walked across on dry ground. And then they were, to, they were told to gather around the city of Jericho, the, fine, the final step in their journey. And God said, now walk around the city and blow these trumpets and yell really loud. And the walls will fall and you will be granted this promised land full of produce, vegetation, flowing with bounty. And you are to feast upon it. Feast upon the banquet before you. And they would be at the Passover and they would raise up their cup of wine and they would shout out their blessing to the Lord and drink in the goodness of God that had been provided for them. And then came the Messiah, the Christ. God, once again, saw his people in bondage and slavery to sin, and he sent a deliverer to rescue them, to set them free. Did they deserve it? (laughs) No. He sent a deliverer. For centuries, the Jewish people had been trying hard to obey the law that God had given them to show them what righteousness looks like. In fact, they became obsessed with obeying the law. And they wanted to make sure everybody else obeyed it too. Yet they found themselves a slave to the law. Never quite measuring up. The law just reminded them of how unrighteous they were. And it brought upon guilt and judgment. They were unable to live righteously the way the law described. And they were hopeless in their bondage. Condemned by their sin. But Christ came. He set them free. It was no longer about trying to be good, but simply accepting his deliverance. 
Jesus, at the Passover meal, he wanted his followers to understand the connection between the deliverance of the children of Israel on that first Passover through the Red Sea. He wanted to connect that experience to himself. And so Jesus said, he took the bread after the meal and he said, this is me. (laughs) This is me. This is my body. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. You are helpless in your bondage to sin, just as your forefathers were helpless in their slavery in Egypt. And I have come to give my life as a ransom for you so that the prison doors may open and your bondage will be over and you will be set free. And Paul later writing about this in Romans 8. He says this. First four verses of Romans 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think we just need to stop there sometimes and meditate on that phrase. There is... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, who is the most likely candidate to condemn you? (laughs) Yourself. Yourself. You know you. And he's saying, there is no condemnation if you are in me. You have been delivered. You've been set free. You've been rescued. You've been saved. And so he said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from that law of sin and of death that trying and trying and trying for what the law could not do which was produce righteousness weak as it was through the flesh God did. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the to the spirit. Second Corinthians 5:21 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become what? The righteousness of God. Communion is not to be some somber dreary introspective look at your failures to be righteous. That's good. I'm going to say it again. I'm sorry. Communion is not to be some somber, dreary, introspective look at your failures to be righteous. It is to be a celebration. A celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Here are some benefits he's given us. And I'm going to just list them. And they're all from Romans 8. Just Romans 8 says this. He has released us from all condemnation, even our own. He has set us free from all sin and given us an eternal existence with Him. He's given us of His Spirit to live in us, to guide us, to show us how to pray when we don't know what to pray. He has adopted us as sons and daughters of His. He has made us fellow, get this, He has made us fellow heirs with Himself. We are granted the same inheritance that Jesus has with the Father. It says that he causes everything in your life, everything in your life, everything in my life to work together for our good. It says if God is for us, who can stand against us? There's power, there's strength. What about his amazing love for us? I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing. I think he's covered it all. 
will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I've just taken one chapter. How much of all that do you deserve today? Is your behavior good enough to deserve all of that? You see, communion is not about you and I. It's about Him. Because of Jesus, we're qualified. You have Jesus in your life, you're qualified to come to the table of the Lord. We look back, we see our bondage for the past, of the past, and we see how Jesus has set us free, and we eat and we drink, celebrating our God-given freedom. Communion is a meal of celebration. Oh, I just wish that we could have all the food, just a big, big, big bounce of food here today. Lots of drink, everything, just a big party. Because communion is a party. It is a victory party. Can you imagine going into battle and then it's, it's, it's over and, and you've won the battle? Are you going to come home? You're going to have the big parades? They're going to throw stuff out of the windows? Remember those? There's going to be this huge celebration because the war is over. The war has been won. And you're going to have a party that goes on and on and on. That's communion. That's communion. <coughs> it's a victory party because the enemy is defeated. <laughs> Sin is defeated. And we are free. We are free. So we're going to celebrate today. Servers, come and serve us.